0: Hey, parents, we are going to be talking today uh, about a really, really important topic that impacts all of us. Uh, My name is Tim Wright, uh, and I'm here with Dr. Michael Gurian, who's up in Spokane, as always, at home. Michael, welcome.
1: Oh, thank you. Thanks so much.
0: And, And today what we're talking about here on The Wonder of Parenting is screen time and your child's brain. And uh, screens, phones, iPads have been around long enough now that we actually have research, good, solid research, on the impact, both positively and negatively, of the, uh, the new digital world that we're in, social media, uh, screen time itself. And, uh, and we want to spend this podcast looking at some of the implications today today of Screen Time on Your Child's Brain, and then in uh, another podcast, maybe a couple, we'll talk about appropriate ways to use this great technology. And, And let's say up front, Michael, this is great technology. If it weren't for screen time, we wouldn't be having this podcast right now.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. We, we are not anti-screen. <laughs>
0: no. And, and uh, you know, uh, to be able to have access um, to uh, people that we love instantly is both a blessing and, of course, a curse, uh, depending on what time of night it is they want to get a hold of you. Uh, there are a lot of safety advantages we now have through screen time. Uh, what I love uh, is being able to connect with people uh, all around the world on Facebook and, and other things. And uh, I've even reconnected with old childhood friends uh, because of our new digital world. So a lot of really, really good things. But as is true with almost anything that's good for us, taken to the extreme or excess can cause some real issues. And, um, and again, as I said, there, there is some good research now uh, about what screen time is doing to our kids. And just to get us to whet the appetite, and then Michael, I'm going to let you really dig into these topics. Uh, there's a uh, a book that came out uh, that you reference in your book, uh, "The Minds of Girls," and I think in "Saving Our Sons" as well, um, by Jean. Is it Twenge? T W E N G E. And let me just read you the title of her book. And that will give you everything you need to know uh, in one sentence about the things that we're going to talk about here uh, in our time with you today. Uh, It's called iGen, and iGen are the children who are born from 1995 to about 2014. But let's just say anybody born after 1995 is iGen at this point. And her subtitle is, Why Today's Super Connected Kids Are Growing Up Less Rebellious, which by the way is a good thing, more tolerant, which by the way is a good thing and Less Happy, and Completely Unprepared for Adulthood. Now, that's a stunning title. Yep. Uh, And uh, so, Michael, there are obviously things going on uh, that uh, researchers are now beginning to see as having a, a really, in some ways, negative impact on our youngest generation. So let's start with the brain. Um, and this is a big topic, but just kind of hit the point you want to hit. What does screen time and social media, and maybe those are two different topics that we can tease out here. What do they do to the brain?
1: Well, there, it depends developmentally on where the brain is at, you know, sort of in how young it is. Um, it's a, the, I guess the macro concept to think about is that it's not natural to the brain. So it's an unnatural modality that that uh, the brain, which is naturally templated to grow in its environment, it's being faced with or set in front of an unnatural modality, which is going to confuse its development, right? So in some ways, that modality, looking into that screen, is going to help brain development topically, content-wise. There's going to be content Um, it wouldn't, that brain would not have gotten a thousand years ago, but it can get through the screen. No doubt about that. Yep. Uh, also by, uh, using FaceTime or, or, um, or Facebook or, or, uh, or by Skyping, you know, you can be in touch with relatives you would not have been in touch with that brain would not have had contact with, um, a thousand years ago if those relatives lived 500 miles away. So it does bring some assets this unnatural modality just, does help with brain development in some some ways like that. Uh, but in the main, especially if the brain is younger, if we're talking about 15 years and younger, let's say, um, uh, too much of that screen time is is putting this unnatural modality in front of that brain. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of its naturally templated brain development doesn't occur. And the reason it doesn't occur is because the screen is passive. Uh, so, so even if a person is, uh, so let's just say you're watching the, that child is watching a program on TV via the screen or streaming a movie or whatever it is, there's a lot of action in that. so everyone would say, no, no, that's active. But for the, for the brain, it's actually passive. All it does is it stimulates a few brain centers that track that action. Whereas if that screen was not in front of that brain, if that child was outside playing the natural environment would stimulate 5, 10, 15, 20 brain centers, right, to form synapses and come together and to grow. Uh, But uh, staring for that two hours at that screen is only going to connect with, you know, a few, one or two or three areas of the brain. So I think at the macro level, we just, I know we're going to drill down, but at the macro level, we just want to remember that for a developing brain, it's an unnatural modality uh, that doesn't stimulate that brain the way nature would, which includes, by the way, talking to people for real, like you know, people around us for real, that stimulates a lot uh, of brain development. So nature includes the relationships and people around us.
0: There's also, particular, when it comes to, uh, well, a lot of different forms of media, but social media in particular um, has a way of, of uh, speaking to or stimulating dopamine. So talk a little bit about that relationship and why that's not always really good.
1: Yeah, let's drill down now. So Yeah. So as the brain is developing, you know, a lot of how it closes synapses, which is we want to remember, so everyone may know this, but the brain, you know, it comes into the world basically with with all of its cells, and what it's going to do is it's as it grows, it's going to connect cells, connect synapses dendrites axons all that stuff that is the brain uh, gradually as the brain grows connects in ways that form that self and uh, that person and so so the brain uses dopamine the reward chemical to help stimulate it toward the connectivity of the synapses so if i get a good feeling from from uh, my mom or dad holding me, right? That's I, that dopamine floods, and I'm getting a good feeling from that, and I want more of that, more of that attachment, and so I operate in such a way that I get more of that attachment, and I close synapses uh, in my brain that, that say coo at my, you know, at my parents, so my parent gives me a kiss. Uh, all of that is is an interplay and happening in that brain. So uh, as as the brain is then looking at the screen, or as it's, you know, involved in in screen time, it, it it's interrupting that and the dopamine is going to get attached to that and screens and what happens in screens go right to, you know, these dopamine centers and um, will stimulate that. And so the brain is then going to want more of that. Mm. It's not necessarily going to want more of relationship, but what it really needs to succeed in life is more relationship. What it really needs is to get the naturally templated brain development so that it's a strong self that exists strong, resilient in the natural world. And society is part of the natural world, you know? So it needs strength, it needs resilience, it needs, the brain needs to grow in in such a way that that personality is fully formed and can function independently, all of those things. As it's attached more and more to screens, especially very young, um, the dopamine is going to flood, the caudate nucleus is going to flood toward the, those singular functions or limited functions that happen through the screen, and that that's why twinge is saying they're not prepared for life because they're not these kids who who are handed cell phones um, or smartphones by a parent or by someone to look at and play a game on when they're two. Um, you know, the parent feels like that's a good thing, right? My child's two; he he or she is going to learn how to play this game and be smart. But unfortunately, not not the case. Uh, maybe yes, get the dopamine to release by the stimulation of those uh, figures and those colors on the screen. But, you know, unfortunately, that's just too limited for real life. So the child is going to release dopamine toward the screen and at 10 is going to want three or four hours of screen, you know, and at 15 is going to want seven hours of screen and, and, of course, cannot mature.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. So I had a a mutual friend of ours, Katie McPherson, out to our church several weeks ago, and uh, during the sermon time, I interviewed her on screen time. And uh, one of the things that we talked about, and this goes along with the dopamine, is the algorithms built into a thing like Facebook or Instagram uh, that has to do with likes. So, for example, when I post something on Facebook— you know, I want to see if people like it. And when I get likes, it stimulates the dopamine. And so I want to see more likes. And the more likes I get, the better I feel about myself. And she said the algorithms actually hold back some of those likes. So let's say I post something and within five minutes I get 40 likes. The algorithm may only allow in 10 likes so that I keep coming back to Facebook Yep. over and over again to get more dopamine stimulation. So what they're doing is they are building into the algorithms uh, ways to continue to stimulate that dopamine so that I will come back and keep checking Facebook because Facebook in part is built on ads and they need to, to have advertisers. And uh, I'm going to let you comment on that, but the other thing that was really telling was, and she mentioned this and, 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 and I knew this as well, that people like Bill Gates... And even Steve Jobs, when he was alive, would not allow their kids to have cell phones till they were 15 years or older, which says something significant that these guys who've created these things know that they can be dangerous. And yet, we're allowing our three, four, five year old kids, our teenagers, uh, to get sucked into these things without really understanding how they work. So, let's look at the likes because there's also uh, not only the dopamine thing, but it, it speaks to body image and other things, particular girls wrestle with.
1: Yeah, yeah, and um so Bill and Melinda Gates actually was 14, they gave their kids smartphones at 14 and they for a lot of these specific reasons um they knew they were on the inside. <laughs> yep. And they knew the algorithms and they knew how these things were getting set up and the and so I think that's really really wise and as you know in 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 both saving our sons and the minds of girls I'm I make a science-based argument for withholding smartphones until kids are at least 13 and using yep. them as a rite of passage. And it's a brain development issue. So so as the, our, our brains are naturally templated to, um, to create, you know, what they're really templated to do is to become adults. Uh, it, 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 the bottom line of child brain development is adult brain development. The child's brain is, and our job as nurturers is to nurture the nature of our kids so that they can become adults and that's the the single uh, nature-based edict of all of time and all of humanity is we got to raise kids to become independent adults because the parents raising them will be dead and that's how nature is set up so that's why natural brain development for the child is so important including all the, the family system and all the relationships um, because we want them to be adults, and if they, if we're giving the screens to them uh, at two, at three, at five, at seven, at eight, and they're participating in this, um, this kind of algorithmic dopamine play, it's such limited dopamine use, but they will get addicted to it, and um, and we won't recognize the addiction perhaps because. Things are divided up like, oh, but they're only on their smartphone an hour or they're only playing video games for an hour or they're only, uh, you know, and then they got to be on the computer to do and on the Internet to do their schoolwork. Oh, oh, and then and and then at school, they're on laptops or they're on pads because the school does about three hours on those, you know, and they, they seem separate to us. So we we don't realize that that the the dopamine play and the way the brain is, is developing through these screens is screen related and to a right. great extent it's screen related and that's too many hours in front of a screen and so we're not we're not going to fully raise an adult the, that kid will be an adult child who's smart at certain things but is now addicted to the screens in order to function and um you know most of life has to transpire in society and between people not in screens so i uh, i think that's the catch-22 we're all in is that we we you know, and on our next program we're gonna actually do strategies. We we've gotta protect our kids' brain development while not becoming, you know, conspiracy theorists about about screens. We don't want to go that that far. But we gotta protect their brain development. And that is gonna mean adding up the number of hours and then looking developmentally at their age. And so for parents of girls, I do that in the minds of girls for you, and for parents of boys, I do it in saving our sons. So I specifically lay out the different age groups birth to two, three to five, six to nine, you know, lay out the brain development of each age group and then suggest ways to, to handle the screen time so that we protect the developing brain at each age group of brain growth.
0: All right. So I'm going to just throw out some issues that I know are being caused, in part at least, by screen and then let you comment uh, on that. Um, so let's come back for a moment to the dopamine and the likes, and particularly the challenge that girls are having when it comes to issues of self-esteem. When they post pictures of themselves and then maybe don't get the likes that they think that they should get, they internalize that a little bit differently than boys do. And so a number of our girls are are struggling now with body image and uh, almost depression. Because they're not getting the sort of likes that they need on Facebook or Instagram, which is probably more Snapchat. <laughs> Facebook's for old people like
1: us, right? Right. Instagram and Snapchat, and yeah, yeah. It's a combination of elements. They they want to get the likes, um, uh, and that can create anxiety and depression when they don't get it. And you know, underneath that, the underbelly of the depression and the anxiety is uh, is the the screen itself and the way that that the the brain is attaching to it um that that screen is actually getting involved in brain development beyond the dopamine right and all these other ways we described it's getting in there and getting involved in brain development and so so for instance uh so depression let's just take depression depression obviously has a genetic uh element and um uh, however your child my child may not become depressed um because that genetic element, that ragged edge on that chromosome may not get triggered. And so child doesn't get depressed and lives a whole life without even knowing that they have depression genetics. Another child, those depression genetics do get triggered. And, um, why so much more depression, right? Among girls in this generation, last two generations. One reason is that the screens themselves are triggering it. Mm. So, um, so the likes are like a sub-element of the larger trigger. Um, uh, there's the instant gratification trigger that you're referring to, you know, where they, they, want, they want to text someone and get texted back, and they don't get texted back. But again, that's probably in itself not going to trigger the depression genetics. Some other structural element is going to um, trigger it, and, a, you know, most common structural element in a person's life to trigger those genetics is, would be trauma, and trauma can be under or it can be actual abuse trauma. Uh, uh, but another one that we're now understanding is that screen trauma. What the, what the screen is doing and, and what that modality is doing is making it difficult for the brain to develop you know, strongly. And so some of these areas that are ragged edges on the chromosomes, basically, so they get triggered that would not have been triggered before. And um, a child is, then needs more screens and more of trying to get likes and um, uh, more Instagram and more Snapchat in order to self-medicate the depression. But the depression was triggered a, a priori previously by so much time being spent in front of the screens. I had
0: a, uh, something happen to me a couple of years ago. I was in London, England, and uh, it was a rather chilly day. Uh, So I went over to Starbucks to get a hot chocolate, and um, I had two observations when I walked into Starbucks there. Number one, I brought the average age up by about 30 years. And uh, (laughs) number two, not one person sitting down was talking to someone. Whether they were in groups or by themselves, every single person was on a screen. The only people talking were the people making an order and the baristas. Everybody else... Was on a screen and uh, it was illustrative to me uh and then uh twenge backs that up in her book that one of the things that we're now losing is the art of face-to-face conversation
1: yeah and that's you know and again just links into brain development think think of how much naturally templated brain development occurs when we are having face-to-face conversations group conversations in a room Um, you know, there's all sorts of verbal emotive stimulation, emotions get stimulated via the words and, and ideas get stimulated and, and dopamine gets stimulated, you know, and people move up in pecking orders, uh, which is actually good for the brain, a little competitiveness, there's, you know, there's this whole array of what happens um, to say nothing of all the love and the attachment that in itself is natural uh, brain development. So as we cut those things away, we are cutting away more and more of the natural brain development, and uh, it is it is not surprising that we're going to get more depression and anxiety because the the synapses that we want to be closing um, and the connections we want to be making inside the brain between say birth and and ten let's say um, uh, that would actually combat depression, combat anxiety, you know, or not trigger those things. Those are not happening because we are not having those conversations. We're not involved in those relationships. And all we're not getting the love and the bonding and the um, well, the admiration and all the sort of transfer of brain development that happens between two people or between four people in real life. We're not we're not getting as much of that. The child is staring at a screen, and you know that's about a ten to twenty percent brain development, whereas we're not getting the hundred percent brain development. And I like to ask people to look at this as a percentage, and to say so that they don't say, "But look, I know my child's getting brain development by looking at that screen." It's true. But, you know, the argument is that's maybe 10 or 20 percent of what that brain at that age could be getting for brain development in that hour that it's staring at the screen. It's getting maybe 20 percent. But if it were in a relationship or if it were spontaneously playing or if it were doing, you know, sitting outside in a sandbox, eating sand, any even that would give it more brain development. You know, then it would give it 70 percent or 80 percent or 100 percent. And that's that's kind of the way I try to explain it.
0: No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So then another result, uh, and you've already mentioned this a little bit, uh, and there are a lot of factors that go into this, but our, this generation seems to be growing up less resilient, less able to have um, disagreements without being offended, which has led to the creation of uh, safe zones in our colleges. And uh, one of the... the uh, Issues that that uh, college administrators are wrestling with now is that, uh, you know, my kids who are sort of on the cusp of Gen X, a little bit millennial, sort of extended the life of adolescence almost into their 30s. What's happening with this generation is they are extending childhood. And so what's happening for a lot of these kids is when they go off to college, it's not to become adults, it's to continue to be children, and they want to be somewhat coddled and protected in that college experience. Uh, and some of that has to do with too much screen time because we've lost the ability uh, to move out into the real world. We stay in our safe cocoons on our cell phones and screen time.
1: Yeah, I I think absolutely there's um uh. This is a phenomenon that, that you know, obviously the the next two generations are going to have to deal with, because it's just right now, not right now colleges are still in the thick of the safe zones thing, but but soon they are going to realize, as they are already realizing, that wait a minute, all they're doing is enabling immaturity; they're they're not enabling citizenship. You know, they're not enabling free debate. In fact, they're ironically, kind of going against what college is supposed to be, which is a, um, wait, let me just get a drink of water. I had a little something there. Uh, it, college is supposed to be a place of exploration, a place where you're challenged, where you are pushed to your limits, uh, where, you know, when you're wrong, you go, okay, I'm wrong. You know, it, it, that's what it's supposed to be. and And we're supposed to be coming into college with a certain amount of resilience so that we can take it there and we need to have a certain skill set already developed. We need to have you know, a baseline for writing, for reading, et cetera, already developed. And then we go there, and then we're put through that ringer of college, right? And then we come out at 22 going, oh, wow. Well, I probably wasn't an adult at 18, but I'm much more of an adult now at 22. Um, so that's what college is supposed to be. And, and these things you've just described go against that because they, they do say to the, to the child, our our job is not really to challenge you. Our job is to make sure you don't sue us, you know, or right. make sure make sure you don't go out and tell other people that you were abused here. When in most cases, I mean there is some abuse, there's absolutely, but in most cases, the child, this young adult is not being abused. This young adult is being challenged with ideas that he or she doesn't like, and they're they're pulling the safe zone card, you know. So I, I that may sound cynical, but I do think that this generation should act fast. And one of the reasons I think it has to act fast to stop this stuff is um, is the loss of males. Actually, I think that that uh, it, it's almost every microaggression uh, that someone is accused of that's making someone else feel unsafe is a, a guy doing it. So it's you know ninety five to ninety eight percent of the time. It's a guy in a college doing something that someone else says makes her, and it's generally a she, makes her feel unsafe. And um, so that gradually is going to mean less and less males will go to college because they're just not going to want to be accused so much, um, et cetera. I mean, there's a whole ripple effect there. And so then in 10 years, instead of having 40% of college right now being male, you know, we're going to have maybe 33% or 34% and you don't want that you want an educated population of males that's really good for the society so uh, i i yeah i think the colleges have gone in the wrong direction and their the colleges that are participating in this and allowing for this uh, have have gone in the wrong direction but they're so politicized everything is so political you know they're afraid they won't get funded by someone who's 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 agrees with this philosophy you know and 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 the whole thing has become a mess It's not, to me, it is not natural to brain development. It is absolutely natural for kids between 18 and 22 to suffer. (laughs) I mean, I hate to say it, but it is absolutely natural. They are not supposed to be coddled. (laughs) Right. And when
0: you say suffer, you know, it's not being abused, we mean to go through the process. Of transition from childhood to adult, which can include wrestling with ideas, wrestling with my identity, and all those things.
1: Yeah, Uh, obviously we're always we always are saying that we're not talking about abuse. That's a but that's a small amount of what happens. Yep. One last thing,
0: uh, and uh, that is the growing problem with obesity in our young people. That's caused in part by lack of movement because we're just sitting around screens.
1: Yep, that's another thing that you have a one would have obes- obesity genetics, right? There are genes um, that can get triggered, and two or three generations ago, let's say, uh, in in an obese person's parents or grandparents, they didn't get triggered, but in this generation, they do get triggered because there's so much sedentary lifestyle, so much sitting, and and in front of screens, so little doing. So, for instance, the cerebellum, which you really want to have active in a brain, that's the doing center of the brain. You really want that active a lot during a day, right? Because that cerebellum floods dopamine, it floods synapses to close in the upper brain, et cetera. uh, And that can hold off the obesity genetics, just like it can hold off the depression genetics. Well, here's a child that at three or four or seven or eight is spending hours and hours in front of a screen. We should not be surprised if those obesity genetics get triggered, and they would be directly related, not only to bad diet. The junk food is an issue, absolutely. We'll do another program on that. Yep. Uh, but it, it is those genetics can get stimulated by all that time in front of screens.
0: Now, it would be real easy as we come to the, uh, the close of this particular podcast uh, to say, yeah, that's all, that's interesting. But it sounds like a couple of really old grumpy guys doing what old grumpy guys always do. And that's complain about the generation coming up behind them, uh, which is not the case. Uh, the reason why we're doing this podcast is because we care deeply uh, about you as parents. We care deeply about your children. I'm a grandfather. I, I'm passionate uh, about what's happening in the lives of my five grandkids in this new world that they're growing up in. And that's why we've really tried to root everything in research and brain science uh, to say that these aren't just the grumblings of, of uh, you know the older generation that doesn't understand technology uh, there's brain science stuff to back this up and and Michael always says be a citizen scientist so if you're not sure what we're talking about is valid do your own research and it's it's out there. It's in volumes. And I want to recommend uh, Michael's books, Saving Our Sons, because he's got a whole chapter on uh, digital life. He's got one a chapter for our, your girls on the minds of girls. And uh, I also want to recommend Gene uh, Twenge's book, iGen, why today's super-connected kids are growing up less rebellious, more tolerant, less happy, and completely unprepared for adulthood. Uh, there's insights in there that can help us use this tool – uh, screen time, the digital world, to be a positive in our kids' lives. And like anything else, when we want to make sure that the excesses aren't robbing them of their humanity and uh, really their childhood and their brain development. So in our next podcast, we're going to come back and Michael's going to lay out for us sort of a, a transitional way to use screen time effectively from zero up through about 18, maybe a little bit more than that. We want to encourage you to go to our website, wonderofparenting.com, wonderofparenting.com. You can leave a question for us that we can address in an upcoming podcast. Uh, You can also subscribe to our podcast there. It's free, comes out every Monday. And um, you can also do that through uh, Apple Play, Google Play, and and subscribe to this podcast. Uh, Michael, this is such an important topic. And we could just go on and on and on. But thank you for these initial insights. Uh, anything you want to add before we uh, we leave today?
1: No, no. Thank you, Tim. And your stories are so great. Your, and your appreciation of all of this as a grandparent is just so wonderful. Uh, No, I'll save all the rest of mine for the next one.
0: (laughs) Very, very good. Well, we thank you for listening in. My name is Tim Wright, along with Dr. Michael Gurian. You've been listening to the Wonder of Parenting podcast. We'll be back with you again to talk about how to use screen time in a way that's best for your child.
1: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
0: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.